Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Hey there, welcome to Parenting Your Challenging Child. Dr. Ross Green here, coming to you as always live from the offices of Lives in the Balance here in Portland, Maine. Um, How are you? I've got my uh, co-host Susie on with us. Susie, how are you today? At least I think I have my co-host Susie on with us. Susie, are you there? Susie? Yes. There you are. Hello, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good, thank you. Good. According to my little dashboard here, you are on, but according to your voice, I guess not so much. Um, We've got quite a few emails to answer here today, but if people want to call in, today's a good day to do that, too. The number is 347 nine nine four two nine eight one um i had some interesting travels last week i was just outside of stockholm sweden last week and in i'm going to say this right this time because i learned that i wasn't saying it right before i got there i was in reykjavik iceland on uh, friday speaking in front of a very nice group very nice group in sweden um a few days before that as well um and here's the cool part um the weather in Sweden and Iceland is really not a whole lot different than the weather right now in uh, Portland, Maine. And so no major shock to the system there, just cold and a little bit dreary. Um, but very nice people interested in learning lots about collaborative and proactive solutions, and so they did. That's great. I was I was hoping that you would uh, bring that up this morning because I had noticed that in your traveling schedule. You you had been to Iceland before, if I recall, yes? I've been in Iceland before. I just can't remember if I had spoken in Iceland before. I think I stopped in Iceland for four or five days on my way to speaking in uh, Sweden another time, uh, the last mm-hmm. time I was in Iceland. Um, beautiful country, although at the moment it's pretty much mostly just covered in snow. <laughs> Your favorite. I told them I'd like to come back in the summer because that's when it's uh, green. Um, and I told them that it had always been fascinating to me that Iceland was called Iceland and Greenland was called Greenland, given that Greenland is mostly white and Iceland, at least in the summer, is mostly green. But uh, this time of year, it makes good sense why they would call Iceland Iceland. Greenland still makes no sense whatsoever, of course. Mm-hmm. So there you have it. Um, 
Shall we begin with some emails as we do not have callers? Did I give the – now, um, I should let you and our listeners know um, I didn't get any sleep last night because a uh, chronic shoulder problem that I have has now gotten way worse, and the pain meds that I have available to me over the counter are not getting the job done. And so sleeping has been an interesting challenge for the last uh, two or three nights ever since I uh, – damaged myself trying to get a bag out of the uh, bin on the airplane on my flight from Stockholm to Copenhagen on Thursday night. And so I can't remember if I've already given the call-in number. Have I? You did, but do you want to repeat it just one more time? Sure. I've got that right in front of me. It's 347-994-2981. And if I forget my name, you'll remind me of that on the program. (laughs) Yes. Sorry to hear of your injury. It's um, shoulders are painful, and um, I've uh, mostly taken to not using my left shoulder ever start- since it started chronically dislocating about uh, 17 years ago. But uh, this is proof that if you still now try to use it and try to get your bag out of the bin on the airplane using the shoulder that you never use, you could still screw it up. And so... Um, We'll be seeing the doctor this afternoon, uh, hopefully for advanced pain medication. But here we go. Enough about me. The whole program has been about me so far. That's not why people listen in on the program. So here we go. Here's email number one. Uh, I just listened to the abridged version of The Explosive Child on Audible. I didn't hear any comments about sharing collaborative and proactive solutions with my child. I was even thinking about halfway through, that she should listen to the book, too. Then she would know where we were going and what we are doing. I know it's a program based on honesty. Got that right. I just need to know what to share, including the ALSIP and other information learned specific to our interactions. Thank you very much for the resources. I am going to put this into action right away. Very interesting question, and one we actually don't talk about that much on the program, What should you tell the kid? Now, one thing I can tell you, um, I'm glad the cover of The Explosive Child was changed when the fifth edition came out recently. It no longer has the kid who uh, has a fuse coming out of his head on the front cover, and I'm glad about that because, to tell you the truth, I've never had a kid tell me they liked it. Never. In fact, most of the feedback I get from kids on that artwork is that they really don't like it at all. And the interesting thing is, I don't even like the name of the book. First of all, a lot of kids don't explode, they implode. So we're really talking about challenging behavior in general here. Plus, the name The Explosive Child makes it sound like this is all about the kid, and the reality is that it takes two to tango. So these are things I feel much more strongly about than I did 16 years ago when the book first came out, or at this point, 17 years ago when the book first came out. Um, But, so I've never gotten positive feedback on the title of the book or the old cover of the book from kids. And um, in hindsight, I wished I had uh, done something at least about the cover, um, but wasn't brave back then and didn't really even think about it back then. Um, But I don't usually have kids read the book. I think that um, there's things in the book that um, we wouldn't necessarily want to say to a kid, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't tell the kid that things are going to be a little bit different moving forward. 
what I usually say to kids is they're going to notice some changes. Um, one thing they're going to notice is that their parents are telling them uh, are uh, solving problems for them much less often. In other words, parents are not telling them what the solutions are uh, much at all anymore. And, of course, that's my way of saying to a kid, we're going to be doing plan A a lot less. I say to kids, um, and you're going to notice that there's some things your parents actually don't even care that much about right now. And they're going to tell you which ones those are because, of course, even plan C, which is what I just referred to, should be proactive. I think it's okay for the kid to know. Uh, here's the things we're not working on right now, and here's the things we are working on right now. And then the other thing I say to the kids is, um, and I think what you'll also notice is that your parents are going to be trying to work with you to solve some of the problems that have been making it difficult for you all to get along for quite some time now. And here's your role in that, um, kid. We are going to be very interested in what your concern, perspective, or point of view is. Then we're going to ask you to listen to what your parents' or teachers' uh, point of view or concern or perspective is. And then we're going to brainstorm solutions together. And your job is to come up with, as it is for all of us, is to come up with solutions that will address the concerns of both parties, not just your concerns, the concerns of both parties. Um, in older kids, there might be good reason to talk with them about skills because a lot of older kids have had us talking with them about their behavior for a very long time, and we've been saying some things to them about that behavior that may not have been exactly accurate, um, attention-seeking, manipulative, coercive, unmotivated, limit-testing, etc., etc., and we want the kid to know, um, we look at this as skills. And I like pointing out to the kid one last thing, um, that most of the behaviors that they are exhibiting that their parents or teachers don't like occur in the midst of frustration and occur in response to very specific problems. And my goal and the goal of his caregivers now is to solve those problems so they don't cause frustration anymore. But I don't have kids listen to the book or read the book because I'd, I'd like to exercise some information control and there's probably some things in the book that I'm not dying for kids to read. Now, Susie, you are the voice of experience on this program, of course. Um, do you remember what you told your kids about what we were doing here? Uh, actually, it was something along the lines of um, what we were doing wasn't working out very well. In fact, it was making things worse. And we were going to try a uh, different approach um, talking with our child and um learning about his his um perspective on certain problems that were causing us problems um, The other thing I want to mention, which just I think leads beautifully into this is um your new book, The Adventures of Stretch More. And um, it was a uh, book that you co-authored with a colleague. And um, 
that would be very appropriate for um, the parent to read as well as for the parent to read with the child. Susie, you are, um, I need to hire you as a PR person. <laughs> but but you're absolutely right. The Adventures of Stretch Moore is written for kids. And um, I'm not usually very entrepreneurial on this program, so thank you for reminding me that that book even exists. And it was written for kids, and it was written to be fun, and it's a pick-your-path book, so kids get to pick the direction they want a story to go in. And I think you're absolutely right. That would be a great thing for um, kids and parents to read together. So that's cool. Definitely. Any other thoughts on that? Now, um, do you remember what you told your kids about what we were doing? I remember, um, you know, one of the... the, uh, your explosive one was an adolescent when you all first started doing this. What did we, uh, what did you tell them? Um, well, it, it was quite a challenge because our communication with him was vi- very limited um, about the only thing that we could talk about were rims, as in car rims, so it made life very interesting. Um, But we just explained that um, the way that things were going weren't working out well for our family, and we have a family problem, and we want to try a different approach. Um, And we wanted to talk together with him about his concerns as well as um, putting our concerns on the table about an unsolved problem and then working together to uh, brainstorm solutions that would um, address both parties' concerns. I always find that kids don't need a big introduction. If a kid wants to know what's going on, of course, it's not a secret. But I find that a lot of kids have a the proof's in the pudding mentality. And it goes something like this. Look, um, you've taken me to a lot of different therapists, um, nothing's worked. Um, you've promised that things were going to change in a different direction and you may know how to follow through. Um, don't give me a big intro because the proof's going to be in the pudding. Um, I think kids notice when you start doing things differently, but I think that um, a lot of kids uh, go a little cold when they hear about something else new that's going to be done just because of things that have been done new previously and um, don't necessarily have faith that uh, what's going to be done new is going to work or that what's going to be done that's new is going to be stuck through. Um, So I actually tend not to introduce, but if people are bound and determined to introduce, I think we've just given them some good help along those lines. So that's good. Shall we move on to another? 
Sure. Here's another. Help. I have read your book, The Explosive Child, and I use the CPS method daily. Because of uh, social problems at school last year, or maybe that school problems, I am also reading and using Lost at School. Since I started using CPS, things have gotten much better, but we still have a problem with anger and always being the victim. I am 65 and was raised in the time when kids were to be heard and not seen, so this has not been easy. I don't believe in that stuff, but it is still hard to learn new ways. Luckily, I have an adult son who works in a facility that uses CPS, so he has guided me, and I read a lot, too. I adopted my 10-year-old daughter when she was one day old, so she has never known any other family but ours. Um, She never knew her birth mom, who is now deceased, and her father is unknown. Her birth mom admittedly used every drug out there and alcohol into about her fourth month of pregnancy. I have raised three very successful young men, and I am beginning to feel overwhelmed and a failure with this little girl. She is very smart and artistic and can also be so sweet. Um, She was devastated last year when her big brother, who she was very attached to, moved out after being there all her life. He was basically her father figure. Most of her problems started then. She has also been diagnosed with ADHD, sensory processing disorder, borderline autistic, and obsessive compulsive disorder. Right now, I am at a loss as to helping her with her anger and taking the blame for her own actions. Um, Let's see if we can help out a little bit. Um, That's a very sad story in one respect, um, but also a very um, heartening story in another, um, that this 10-year-old girl... um, who started off in the world under compromised circumstances is now being cared for by an adoptive mom who um, is really devoted to her and really working hard for her is a great thing. So um, despite the history and even despite the current difficulties, um, I think From my reading of this, we've got a pretty lucky girl here. And uh, a lucky adoptive mom, although she's not feeling lucky at the moment. Um, So I'm not going to try to convince uh, adoptive mom that she should be feeling lucky. She's She's still having trouble here, and she's feeling very discouraged and unsuccessful. Um, What I would say is that behaviorally challenging kids do... This is looking at the bright side. This is the silver lining. Teach us a lot about ourselves. Teach us a lot about people in general that we often don't think to look at or often don't have the opportunity to get to know unless we're working with a kid who has social, emotional, or behavioral problems. And so um, that's a good thing. Now, the the not-so-good thing is that we still have anger issues and we still have... Um, and we have, uh, well, actually, I'm not going to call it anger problems. I think that we still have a kid who is having outbursts, and those things seem to have gotten worse, according to the adoptive mom, when 
um, someone that she was very attached to, her big brother, moved out uh, to start his own life, um, which is in the rest of the email, which I'm not going to read. Um, so it clearly sounds like we have some things to talk about. But to tell you the truth, what I'm not hearing here, what I'm not reading, is that we have yet identified specific unsolved problems um, and that we have prioritized them so we know what we're working on and what we're not. So I'm hoping that mom isn't doing most of this emergently. I'm hoping mom's doing most of her plan B proactively. I hope she's got a game plan. What is she working on right now? What is she not working on right now? I hope she's got her assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems completed. I can't overstate how crucial that is to really get um, a real good sense of uh, a kid's lagging skills and a very comprehensive uh, list of the problems that are reliably and predictably setting in motion challenging episodes. That's crucial. So I don't have the perfect sense of what's going wrong here. Um, sounds like a lot is going right here, so it's not all bad. But those are some of the things that I often find people need to tune up on if um, things are not going as well as they had hoped. Now, the blaming part. Um, I don't have lots of details on this, but um, I don't worry that much about kids blaming others. Um, what we're mostly interested in getting from the kid is not an explanation for their behavior. That's when I often hear kids blaming others, but rather the kid's concern, perspective, or point of view on a particular unsolved problem. Now, you can still get blaming when you're asking about a particular unsolved problem, but I find that we get more blaming when we're talking with a kid about their behavior. Even if we do get blaming when we're talking with a kid about a specific unsolved problem, for example... I've noticed that you're having difficulty uh, brushing your teeth before you go to bed at night. What's up? Here's what blaming might sound like. It's not my fault. You don't remind me. Or, you always buy toothpaste I don't like. Well, while there is uh, certain a, certainly a component of blaming to what the kid just said, I quite frankly would look past the blaming because embedded within the blaming was the kid's concern, perspective, or point of view. So I'll merely do reflective listening and repeat back to the kid um, what the concern or perspective was, and I would uh, bypass the blaming part temporarily. So what I might say is, ah, so you were counting on me reminding you to brush your teeth at night before you go to bed. Or I might say, Ah, I didn't realize that you didn't like the toothpaste that I was buying. Or, oh yeah, I forgot that you didn't like the toothpaste that, you, that I was buying, and I guess we haven't done anything about that yet. If all you get is blaming, it's your fault, I would still do reflective listening, and I would add a clarifying statement. And by the way, all of these strategies are on the drilling cheat sheet in the paperwork section on the Lives in the Balance website. So if all you get from the kid is it's all your fault, I would simply do reflective listening with a clarifying statement and simply say, ah, you feel that it's my fault that you are not um, 
having an easy time getting your teeth brushed before you go to bed at night. Help me understand that better. How is that my fault? And then we'll see what the kid says next. Well, you're supposed to remind me. Good, now we're rolling. Well, you keep buying that toothpaste I don't like. Great, now we're rolling. So um, I think that often the best strategy for the kid blaming somebody else is um, to bypass it and still focus on the concern or perspective or point of view that we are very interested in getting from the kid about this unsolved problem. And then only one last point on this, and Susie, I'm sure you want to weigh in here as well. Um, My last point is, and I'm not saying that this is specific to this situation because there are lots of kids who blame for different reasons, but we want to make absolutely certain that we as the adults aren't blaming because if we of the adults are blaming, then we are simply modeling blaming and we shouldn't be surprised when we reap what we sow. Susie, what are your thoughts? Uh, if I recall in the email, I I thought there was a sentence that said something like she felt like a failure. Yes. Yes, and I just I um, understand that she has been doing the model for a while, which is great, but I want to still make sure that she has the right lenses on because uh, good for her that she's been uh, doing this model of care with her challenging child. Um, And, you know, these problems didn't happen overnight, so they're not going to get fixed overnight. Um, It takes a while, and it takes a while for the child to participate in a Plan B discussion, but not to... Don't don't give up. Don't give up hope that um, when things don't go well, these are examples to reflect on and learn from. And mistakes are what you make on the way to getting it right. So she, this 10-year-old girl, is very lucky to have such a caring, compassionate mom. And I know it sounds like they're going through a tough time, but there is hope. And if they can just stick with it, um, you know, it it might take a few trips to the Plan B drawing board to get it right. And I don't know where mom and daughter live, but there is a list of providers on the CPS Connection website. That's cpsconnection.com. And um, maybe there's somebody nearby um, but um, I would also say to mom, feeling overwhelmed and like a failure is something a lot of parents feel like when they are trying to help a behaviorally challenging kid. Um, it's always interesting. It sounds like, I'm reading between the lines here, but it sounds like this girl has come a long way. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, my bet is that mom has something to do with that. Um, How much further can the kid go? Hard to say. Um, She's got some 
psychiatric diagnoses that suggest that there are some lagging skills and unsolved problems and other things that are going to make it hard for her um, to make progress extremely rapidly. And so everything has to be couched within what is this kid capable of, what are our expectations, are our expectations in line with this kid's ability to deliver the goods. Um, So just some additional thoughts there. Right. And as you always say, Dr. Green, being responsive to the hand you've been dealt. Yes. Sounds like this kid came into the world um, uh, behind the eight ball a little bit. And um, hard to say, but it's possible she's doing extremely well given how she started. So who knows? Of course, there's always room to improve on plan B, um, but there's always a place for taking a step back and looking at how far you've come, what your expectations are, and giving some serious thought to whether the kid can realistically meet those expectations an unrealistic expectation, I don't say this very often anymore, but it's just come into my head just now. I used to say this frequently. An unrealistic expectation is a challenging episode waiting to happen. It is for all of us. Shall we do another? Yes. We have no callers this morning. I'm going to give the call in number one more time, 347-994-2981. Now we have some people from some prior programs who we are looking forward to hearing back from, but maybe not today. Here's another, a brief one. I don't know if the answer is going to be brief, but we'll see. I tried, I'm tried. i trying to fill out the ALSIP for my nine-year-old nephew. The ALSIP, of course, is the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. And I'm overwhelmed. I'm checking almost every box. Is this unusual? How do I get my arms around it? Uh, Here's the quick answer. It's not unusual. In other words, it's not unusual for behaviorally challenging kids to have lots of lagging skills. In fact, it's kind of typical. And it's something I hear a lot from people is that they are um, wondering, is this really the way it's supposed to go here? They're checking off all of the lagging skills. Um, Actually, that's very compelling evidence for the fact that that this kid is indeed lacking skills. And um, that's what we want to know because it it takes the place. Those lagging skills take the place of a lot of the things we've been saying about the kid. I've mentioned them already on this program, manipulative, attention-seeking, unmotivated, coercive, limit-setting, testing, chain-yanking, Things we say about kids, lazy. Um, I was listening to a recording this morning about a kid who's having trouble getting homework done, and um, they're convinced he's just trying to take the easy way out. Well, in listening to the recording and listening to the kid, I wasn't convinced that the kid's trying to take the easy way out. But um, these are the things we often say about kids. We're ta- that what's taking the place is lagging skills. Much more compassionate, much more accurate, much more productive. And so if there are a lot of lagging skills checked off, well, there you have your evidence. This kid is indeed lacking a lot of skills. And so the shift in lens 
from motivation to skills is um, justified, legitimized by all of those lagging skills that have been checked off. Now, what a lot of people think is that those lagging skills need to be taught directly. And that's the overwhelming part. Checking off a lot of lagging skills is actually compelling, but it's only overwhelming if people are thinking, now we have to teach all of those skills explicitly and directly, when in fact, most of those lagging skills aren't going to be taught explicitly and directly. They are going to be taught indirectly by solving problems collaboratively. Let me put that another way. And the research from our five-year data set at Virginia Tech from a NIMH-funded study that was recently completed there confirm my anecdotal experience when you are solving problems collaboratively. You are simultaneously but indirectly teaching kids the skills they are lacking. So checking off a lot of lagging skills is only overwhelming if we think we're going to have to teach those skills directly or explicitly. What's really overwhelming for people once they realize that they're not going to have to do that most of the time, now there are some skills that can be taught explicitly or directly. Some language processing and communication skills can be taught explicitly and directly. Some social skills can be taught explicitly and directly, but most skills are going to be taught indirectly by solving problems collaboratively. So the overwhelming part of the LSUP is just how many unsolved problems we've written in. And so that people feel less overwhelmed about that, we're going to have to prioritize. We're going to have to decide which unsolved problems we are going to be working on and which unsolved problems we are not going to be working on. The ones we're going to be working on, that's plan B, and the ones we're not going to be working on right now, the ones we are going to be setting aside, that's plan C. And now people are once again feeling less overwhelmed. But as I always say, then I'll be quiet, here's the definition of overwhelmed. We have no idea what's getting in the kid's way, and we have no idea what to work on. To me, that's more overwhelming. While it is definitely overwhelming to have a lot of unsolved problems written in, it's not as overwhelming as having no idea what they are and having no idea what problems we could be solving so that we are reducing challenging episodes. Any thoughts on that, Susie? Uh, usually, or typically, it's two or three unsolved problems that are causing a lot of the um, problems. And um, if you can, you know, get those solved, if you can um, work those out with the child, um, life in your house gets better, and getting better is the goal. Good. Now we have an interesting one. Uh, actually, I shouldn't say now we do. They all are. But here's, let me just make sure that we don't have any callers. We don't. So here's another. I have an eight-year-old girl who is by most accounts a model child most of the time. Most of the few small issues which do pop up every now and then are easily solved with plan B. However, 
we have one issue that so far defies any kind of solution. She categorically refuses to wipe herself after using the toilet. She claims it's because it's gross. She doesn't want to accidentally get some on her hands. So she deliberately skips wiping altogether. Teaching her how to wipe without soiling her hands, her hands, how to wash her hands afterwards, and so on and so on, has had no effects. Neither has punishing her for soiling her underwear. Frequent talks to understand her logic on why she is so hesitant to wipe because of the grossness, yet has no shame or disgust at leaving her bottom completely unwiped and her clothing soiled have resulted in nothing. She doesn't know why one isn't an issue and the other one is, and explaining to her that her behavior is unacceptable doesn't change anything. Editorial comment. Um, Well, that's okay, because often explaining to a kid that their behavior is unacceptable doesn't change anything. Occasionally explaining to a kid that their behavior is unacceptable does change something. But you've got one whose difficulty apparently is going well beyond merely having the knowledge that it's unacceptable. Puzzling also is that she is not in the least bit embarrassed or ashamed about not wiping and soiling her underwear. She acts as if it's the only logical solution. I am stumped at how to help her overcome this problem because I don't understand. Going on the theory that kids do well if they can, how is it possible that she cannot do any better than she is? Any suggestions? Well, I don't think we've covered this topic on this program before, which is why I made sure to focus on this email. And we do have a caller now, and so I'm going to see if we have time for our caller, but I want to respond to this email first. We may not have time for our caller today, so I just want to pass that word along. Stay on the line because we've only got about seven minutes left in the program, but I don't know if we're actually going to be able to get to our caller by the time we're done with this email. If you ask me what's one of the toughest problems I see people trying to deal with in kids, um, it's the soiling issue. Um, But we have two issues here. Get the feeling that we have a soiling issue, which is that the child is moving her bowels uh, in some place other than the appropriate place. And we have a kid who's refusing to wipe um, because it's gross. And, um, well, she might be right about that. We also have a kid who we've taught to um, how to wipe without soiling her hands, how to wash her hands afterwards, Um, punishing her for soiling her underwear is probably one of the absolute uh, least productive things that one can possibly do. So we've gone through all the stuff that hasn't worked. For the soiling, I would strongly recommend an appointment either with their pediatrician or family physician or um, if there's a facility nearby that specializes in this, and there are clinics that specialize in this particular problem, um, I would strongly recommend that for the soiling problem, uh, we make an appointment. Um, uh, a very high percentage of kids who are soiling are constipated. A very little known fact. A very high percentage of kids who are soiling are constipated, and are going to need some professional help at getting unconstipated. 
um, on the inpatient that I unit that I worked on at Children's Hospital in Washington D.C. way long time ago. One of the specialties of the inpatient unit at the time was kids who had exactly this problem. And some kids are so constipated that um, they really need some advanced technology um, or at least some specialized technology to help them get cleared out. Because until they get cleared out, uh, the likelihood that seepage will occur is very high. And that's what's ending up in the underwear. Those same folks can probably provide some guidance. I'm just not sure, and of course, I've not met this eight-year-old girl, so I have no idea what's really going on, um, and this discussion does not take the place of a um, comprehensive evaluation. But what I'm recommending is that they get the comprehensive evaluation. Let's find out what's going on with the soiling, and it could be that we have to deal with the wiping problem second. But here's the key point. Let's say that it's true, and there's a decent likelihood that it is true, just in terms of percentages. Not having met this eight-year-old girl, I have no idea. But um, one of the things that's for sure is that constipation won't be cleared up by punishing. Constipation won't be cleared up by frequent talks. Constipation won't be cleared up by logic. Um, lots of things that won't work on constipation, if that's what it is. And the parallel here is that um, soiling underwear is one challenging behavior, and it does happen to be one that researchers have identified a clear etiology, and it's the exact opposite of what we might think. Well, I have that experience routinely with behaviorally challenging kids. We often find out that what's really going on with an unsolved problem, once we finally start talking with the kid about the unsolved problem, um, isn't what we thought it was. Soiling underwear, just another example of it's not what we thought it was. We need to find out what it is. Now, one, one difference most kids who are soiling are not going to be able to tell you what it is. You're going to need somebody who's specialized. And that could be a pediatrician. That could be a family physician. That could be a specialty clinic. That's my advice. Susie, I don't know if you're going to weigh in on this one or not. Um, just that it's a difficult problem and... Um the advice that you're giving is um, is great. I must say, when I first learned about this problem on this inpatient unit a long time ago, I remember how surprised I was to find that um, constipation isn't uh, that soiling isn't what I thought it was. The good news is there are people who this is their field and who can help. And there's uh, actually, um, well, family physicians and pediatricians should know about this. I have encountered some who did not, but most should. It actually has to be followed very closely. We'll see if the wiping issue can get addressed 
once we get the soiling problem under control. Um, that's what I think. Nothing takes the place of really finding out what's really getting in the kid's way. Now, we only have about 90 seconds left in the program, so I am making the executive decision not to bring our caller on today. But I promise the caller that if he or she uh, calls at the beginning of the next program, which is next uh, Monday, that um, we will have him or her on the program first. So I apologize that we've run out of time for today. Susie, any final thoughts in the last minute that we have left? Not really, but thank you. Well, I don't have any final thoughts either, and so why don't we end just a little bit early today. Susie, as always, thanks for doing the program. You are the voice of empathy on this program and a wonderful addition. I'm glad we're doing the program this way these days. Oh, it's my pleasure. I hope your doctor's appointment goes well this afternoon. Thank you. Take Take care. care. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.